Welcome to the Sensory Change Podcast, where we learn to think differently as a community supporting sensory kids at all levels. We share all sensory matters through discussions and interviews with experts in the field to get practical ideas and simple strategies to implement in day-to-day life. Here is your host and author of Against the Odds, Dana Latter. Dr. Laura Malcolm is a clinical psychologist and an author of three best-selling parenting books, Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids, Peaceful Parent, Happy Siblings, The Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids Workbook. She also serves as parenting coach and expert for many websites and makes frequent TV and radio appearances. Hello, Dr. Laura. I'm so happy to have you with us. I'm delighted to be here with you, Dana. So, uh, Dr. Laura, I wanted to know, how did you start coaching and training parents? What made you choose this path? Well, it really started because as a clinical psychologist, I was seeing children. I was always, uh, I saw adults as well, but I was always very, um, I love children and I was always interested in working with them. But as I did so, I realized in my training that really the most important work was to be done with parents because they would come see me for an hour and then they would go home and spend the rest of the day with their parent and then the next six days. What we really needed to do was to give the parent more support, more hands-on tools to use, more ability to self-regulate, more ability to empathize with the child, more understanding of the child's emotions, more ability to connect. And I realized that the real work was to be done with parents. So I began, and I started my practice, I began to work with parents directly, less than with children. Exactly. And so we spoke about that. It's the children who inspire you to do what you do. Yes, although I say the children inspire me, but I will say that as I work with parents, Every parent is just a grown-up child. There's someone who just needs more support to do their best. And so I love working with parents also. Uh And what is the importance of bonding and having a close relationship between children and their parents? I would say it's everything. When you say, what is the importance? You know, and I know when you ask the question, you know the answer here, that it is everything. That when we are connected with our child. Well, let's say first, when we're not connected, and you could be not connected for all kinds of reasons. You could be not connected because you had postpartum depression and didn't really bond. You could be not connected because your child has sensory processing issues or is on the autism spectrum. And when you try to connect, the child finds it overwhelming and has a hard time and they shut down. You could be not connected because your child is super hyperactive and, you know, can't sort of sit still and connect and focus. Uh, you could be not connected because you're, you're a highly sensitive person who's an introvert and your child is the opposite and they rub you the wrong way. Or, or you could be connected in general, but you're having a hard day. You could be connected in general, but you're annoyed today or your child is out of sorts today because they didn't get enough sleep or they're out of sorts because you've had the baby on your lap all morning or they're out of sorts because 
they are mad at you because you didn't understand when they got upset this morning. So that's a temporary disconnection. But when you have a disconnection of any kind, what ends up happening is that your child no longer is open to your influence. They don't want to follow your lead. They don't want to do what you say. You, you limit your influence with them when there's a disconnection. So the, it becomes like, like pushing a boulder uphill, a huge, like you're, it's like in the myth of Sisyphus, you're just pushing that boulder up a mountain and it's so hard to do. Whereas when you are connected with your child, your child is open to your influence. You don't have to resort to bribes or threats or punishment or yelling because your child actually is open to your leadership, to following you. Children follow presence. You're more present. Present allows you to connect. And so children want to do what you say. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be bumps in the road. They don't necessarily want to get ready for bed, right? Or want to stop playing so you can go to the grocery store. However, they're more open to it. And if you handle those bumps with some understanding, I know it's so hard to stop playing and get ready for bed. I bet when you, you grow up, you'll never go to bed, will you? You'll probably play all night every night, won't you? So what's just happened is that you honored the child's emotions, that they want to keep playing and their desire to play and their need to play. But you've also, and you've given them um, a fun way to think about what will happen in the future. They might get to play all night every night. Of course, when they grow up, they will no longer do that because they're no longer children. But at this moment, that sounds perfect to them. And so now they're willing to follow you, but they won't even be open to that kind of an intervention if you already had a disconnect going. So connection is everything in terms of the child's cooperation with the parent. Connection is also everything in terms of the parent's enjoyment of the child. So, you know, it's sort of a truism that parenting is really hard and you won't find any objections from me. Parenting, I think, is one of the hardest things that we do. However, it gets easier when there's a strong connection because we find it sweeter. When they're more cooperative, it's easier, but also when there's a connection, we delight in our child. We delight in them and we enjoy them and we get a lot of benefit, a lot of reward just from watching them blossom. Even the giving, it has a meaning to it because we adore this person and we see how our giving to them, how our being emotionally generous, how our being patient, it makes a difference to them in who they are. And so that connection makes parenting sweeter. And parenting is such hard work. We need something to make it sweeter. If it just feels like a never-ending task that is just unrewarding, we're going to get resentful. It's going to be hard to keep giving. So the connection is important, not just for the child's benefit, but for the parent to get something out of doing it as well. And then I would add one final thing. We've all heard about attachment. Attachment is important for babies. But it turns out, as we continue to research this idea, that attachment is important for all human beings. What we've learned is that what makes people happy throughout their lives, what makes them feel connected to the world, happy to be alive, and what makes them healthier also, physically healthier, 
is connection to other people. We need those connections. Even introverts, even loners, even people who really like to be by themselves a lot, who are highly sensitive and don't really like crowds or parties or, you know, lots of people around them. Even those of us who fit that description, we need to feel connected to other human beings to feel good in life. And at the end of our lives, when we interview people before their deaths, they all say the same thing. They don't say, I wish I had harder. They don't say, I wish I worked harder. They say, I wish I had been closer to my children. I wish I'd been closer to my husband or my wife. I wish I had put more energy into my friends. Those are the regrets people have. So connection is important to everyone. And it starts in childhood. Your children learn about connection from you. And it's, it starts when they're born, but it continues throughout their lives. So that attachment, that connection with you is what will help your child to thrive and grow as a baby, as a toddler, as a preschooler, throughout childhood and throughout their lives. And the groundwork is the work you do with them now, because that's how they're learning what relationships are. Oh, so interesting. And how would you deal with tantrums and frustrations? And I mainly like to ask about children on the sensory spectrum when they have tantrums or frustration. Well, so first of all, for all humans, when we get frustrated, we stop thinking well. Right? We're not in touch with our prefrontal cortex, the executive function. We instead are receiving emotional signals that say, something's wrong here. This is an emergency. This could be bad. We have to do something about this. There's a threat, right? That's what happens for all of us when something doesn't go our way. And maturity, as we get older, is learning that we don't have to just fly off the handle when we get that signal, we can say, whoa, 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 it's okay. It's not an emergency. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, whatever this small thing could be. My boss didn't understand my email, so I need to reach out to my boss and clarify this. I'm just going to walk down the hall. Or my child is about to lose it, but it's not an emergency. She's just hungry. I can handle this, right? So as we get older, we don't respond to those signals in the same way. We respond to them, but we respond to them from a more calm place. We realize it's not an emergency. But children don't realize that. They don't have a prefrontal cortex. In fact, they don't start developing it until, well, until they're in their, they do start it pretty early. We start the prefrontal cortex early, but we don't finish it until we're 25 years old. So you can assume that children for the first 25 years of life are sometimes more volatile than they will be later. That makes sense. Um, and then if you talk about kids on the sensory spectrum, uh, you're talking about kids who perceive things differently. So you and I might not think there's anything to worry about. It's the class, uh, the class play that the children are putting on at the end of the year for the parents to come to. And your child all of a sudden is getting very upset. And to you, it's like, it's no big deal. You don't even have to say anything. You just have to stand on the stage, you know, or whatever. Um, but your child is very upset. So for a child on the 
neurotypical end of the spectrum, they might be able to hear you when you say, sweetheart, it's okay, you can handle this. You've done this, you've practiced with your class, you're just gonna stand on the stage. It'll be okay and I'll be right there smiling at you. That child might be able to calm down at that point, neurotypical. But what about your kid who is sensory processing issues? What's happening to them? Well, first of all, they're in the classroom here or they're backstage, heaven forbid. And there are all these parents coming around, which already means there are twice as many people as usual. And that's heightening their anxiety. All the children are excited. So they're sort of bouncing off the walls. The voices are loud. The, it's an unfamiliar situation that they're here backstage about to go onto the stage or whatever. So your child is having an unfamiliar situation that is hard for them to feel relaxed in, to feel comfortable in. They feel like there's a threat. There's something wrong. There's something scary about it. And the voices are so loud and overwhelming, they can't think straight. They don't even know what they're, I mean, what does it mean to go stand on stage? Where are they supposed to stand? What will they do? Because they can't think because the voices are too loud and are overwhelming them. The noises, the bright lights shining, right? So for a kid who is not neurotypical, anything that's out of the realm of the usual could be very overwhelming. And we think it's fine. It's no big deal. But to them, it's just overwhelming. So I guess naturally that kid could have a total meltdown, a total tantrum. And I'm thinking of a more unusual situation here, but that kid could have a tantrum in the supermarket cart, which by the way, all kids have tantrums sometimes in the supermarket because they want something they can't have and they're hungry and they're tired and we're distracted uh, and we're not patient with them. But when you say, how do you handle the tantrum, whether it's the everyday tantrum in the supermarket or whether it's the tantrum at a more special occasion where they're overwhelmed by the, the noise and the lights and the stimulation. Um, when you have a kid who has sensory processing issues, the most important thing for you to do is to constantly keep tabs on your own sense of well-being. If you can train yourself, and this is true for all parents, but it's especially true for kids who have, for parents who have a child who has more challenging behavior, you have to constantly check in with yourself. And when you notice that you're starting to get impatient or lose it, your job, your most important job is to calm yourself down. And so you want to develop a repertoire of ways to calm yourself down. And then when your child, so if you notice, oh my gosh, I'm getting a little bent out of shape here. It's, it is a little noisy in here. Let me take a deep breath. Let me center myself. It's not an emergency. It's okay. I can handle this. And if it's in the supermarket, you might, in fact, slow down. Slow down to reconnect with your child. Instead of trying to rush them through the market and say, no, no, don't get upset. It's, we're almost done here. We're just going to get through the line. It's almost done, which will just increase your child's anxiety. You can say, you can stop, slow down, touch your child. If, that, if they respond well to touch, to, to ground them. You can make eye contact if they respond well to that, but don't force it if it overwhelms them. And you can say, it's okay, sweetie. You're having a hard time. You're done with the market, aren't you? So you're joining with them. This prevents the tantrum because they feel understood. And you say, it's hard right now, isn't it? Come here, let me give you a hug. You really want to leave the market, don't you? I'm with you. We need to leave. 
what can we do so that I can pay for the groceries so we have food for dinner? Would you like something cold to drink? Something healthy that's cold, like some orange juice? Let's get that and take a deep breath. Let's take a deep breath and let's go pick the orange juice out. You can have some juice while we finish and we'll be out of here in five minutes. Okay, you think you can handle that? I've got your back, I'm right here with you. And you've just forestalled the entire tantrum, right? So what if you can't? Because you, your question was, how do you deal with tantrums? Let's say you can't forestall it. Let's say your kid loses it in the supermarket. Nothing you do is gonna make a difference. You leave your cart, you pick your child up, you hug them if, they're, if that will work, you remove them from the market if you can do that. If you can't, you stay right with them on the floor, hunkered down, so they're not breaking the, the jars of peanut butter or whatever, so that you're, you're sort of sheltering them from people's prying eyes. You breathe deeply so that you're as calm as possible and you say, I know it's just so hard right now. It's okay, I'm right here with a hug when you're ready. And you leave the market with them as soon as you can. And you calm down with them outside the market if there's a place to do it, even in the car if that's necessary. You don't buckle them and you stay with them in the back until they calm down. And then you say, and then there's no shaming, there's no blaming, there's no, you, that was terrible what you did. There's just, that was so hard, wasn't it? I think we shouldn't have tried to go to the market today. I didn't realize how hard, how bad you felt. Let's go home. We'll just have eggs for dinner. It's okay. We can have eggs and carrots right out of the bag. Don't worry. We'll shop tomorrow. And that's it. There's no, you know, a tantrum is the child telling you that they're at the end of the rope. And so your job is not to try to talk sense into them at that moment. It's to create safety and understanding so they don't have to escalate. Because people escalate. When they're upset, that's when they begin to escalate if you don't understand them. But once your child feels understood, they can begin to calm down because they feel safe. I really liked your explanation. It was great. And how would you engage with a teenager in our overwhelming world, world of games and computers and social media? Oh, my goodness. Well, that's a, a huge question because I actually think that kids should mostly not be using games even teenagers. I know that's a crazy idea in our culture, but I think particularly special needs kids often find that games are very, very addictive and that they cannot stop using the game at the end of the allotted time without a total meltdown. So I would say the first thing is to try to have no games. There are better ways for children to live. Kids who have sensory issues, kids who have ADHD, kids who are on the spectrum, the research is pretty clear that all of them do better when they get time in nature every day. All, in fact, all humans do better with time in nature every day. So if you can get your kid outside every single day for an hour, that's the most important thing you could do. And then all kids need some downtime that they can just relax and do what they're passionate about. That might be, even with a teenager, that could be working on little things that maybe younger kids do that calm them down, like Legos. Or it could be drawing, 
or inventing things. So I am very much of the Waldorf school philosophy, not in every way, but in many ways, uh, the part that says kids don't need screens. What they need is time in nature and time to be creative and time to explore their own passions. Now, do I think there's a whole world of things out there on screens that your child will find fascinating that they could learn from? Of course, of course. I just think that's a lot lower on the list than the kinds of things I'm describing. And so if you have a child who you're homeschooling, you're gonna probably end up spending some time letting them use screens to explore and learn. And that's just fine if you're gonna do that. But, but if your child cannot work with you to turn off a screen without a tantrum and they're a teenager, then they shouldn't be using a screen, honestly. And I know that's a harsh thing to say, but if your child has a tantrum every time you turn off the screen, then it means they have an addiction. And so you have to work with them on that. And I would be, as I am with all other limits, I would be really clear about that limit inside myself first to make sure I feel good about that limit. And then I would talk with my child about a limit. I would talk with them about the fact that in order to use the screen at all, I need them to turn it off without a tantrum every time. And that I know it's really, really hard to turn off a screen. I mean, the, the, child, the teenager isn't the only one. There's a reason that people binge watch on Netflix or other, sh you know, in TV. They binge watch because it's hard to turn off the screen. And once we start, our mind locks into that rhythm. Those brain waves, you're in the, the, you know, whatever the state is, and it's not alpha and it's not beta, whatever the state is that you're in and your brain waves, as you're watching, your brain locks into that. And it's very hard to mobilize your body and your executive function to override that impulse that says, oh, more of this drug, please, because that's what it is. It's an addiction. So we can understand how our teenager has a hard time turning off the screen. And we can empathize totally. And we can also say, look, honey, I can't have those upsets destroying our peaceful home every single time you have to turn it off. So we're going to experiment with you using it. But if you can't turn it off, we're going to go on a fast. We're going to go on a screen fast for three months. And then we're going to introduce it sparingly. We're going to try it once. And we're going to talk first about how we're going to turn it off together and what techniques might, you, might work for you without a tantrum. And if that doesn't work, we will take another, we'll just take more time off until you're ready to do it. But as we do it, we're going to, we're going to very gradually introduce it into your life. And every time you use a screen, we're going to have a little routine at the end of using the screen where you need to do that little routine. And by the way, the routine that works, your child has to get up from the screen and move around. So it can be that they do 10 push-ups and 10 sit-ups. It can be that they run around the house. They can do jumping jacks. You can do some rough housing. You can have a pillow fight at the end of it every time to get them laughing. Laughter is always a great way to discharge any anxiety that's built up. Remember, when a child is doing a game, there's a lot of dopamine coursing through your system, a lot of adrenaline, a lot of cortisol, stress hormones. So when they're done, they're like this dancing mess of stress hormones. So laughter helps reduce the stress hormone, hormones that are circulating in the body. And so does exercise. So both things, run around the house three times and then have a pillow fight or both, you know, will help the child to discharge those stress hormones 
and also simply moving away from the screen physically and turning it off jumpstarts the brain into another part of the brain so the child isn't locked onto the screen. Because when they're locked onto the screen, you're trying to take that screen away as a threat. They're going to go into a state of emergency. They're going to lash out and you're going to be on the receiving end. So helping the child to learn ways to manage themselves, ultimately that's really important. If you've got a 15-year-old, someday that 15-year-old probably won't live with you and they're going to need to not be an addict to that screen. So it's great to teach them these things, but you need to start from a premise of they're in agreement with you that in order to use the screen, they have to use it in a healthy way, which means they're motivated to do something as they turn it off besides just get upset and lash out. They, you have to have a plan that you've developed with them. Uh-huh. And how do we encourage and support the independence in children? I think right from the very beginning, we pay attention to the child and we encourage every initiative and we stop controlling. So I have seen parents in the United States and I don't know if it's the same way in the UK, you might be more advanced, but I have seen parents in the United States in the last 10 years just become unbelievably overprotective. Meaning I was with a lovely family. I had given a talk, they had brought their children to meet me. I had. I had known this, the parents, uh, because I, they had come to other talks of mine, they brought their children and the, there was in the floor of the room where we were, there was an electrical outlet and it was covered. It had a metal plate over it that you could pop up to plug something in, uh, an electric outlet. And the child was of course, totally curious. He was six, maybe yeah, almost six at that point. Uh, he was six years old. And he, popped it open to look at it. Immediately, the parents said, stop touching that. Let Move away from that. Don't touch that. And I, I found myself saying to the child, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Do you know what it is? I wonder what that's for. Hmm, I wonder why they have it covered, right? And, and so at that point, the child, his curiosity is validated. He's engaged. He's having a conversation with you. He's connected. Now he was open to my influence when I said, yes, it's an electrical outlet, just like the ones on the walls, right? That you plug in a lamp or something. So what are the safety rules when you have an electric outlet? Right. You don't stick a fork in it because then the electric comes out and it could shock you. It could really hurt you badly, right? So we certainly don't stick things in electric outlet. And what other safety rules are there? Right. We wouldn't pour water down here, would we? Right. It looks like you know how to be safe when you're looking in here. You were just curious what it was, huh? Pretty neat. So should we leave it open or should we close it again? And that way the child has the opportunity to decide what's the safe way to leave this outlet. Would it be safe to leave it open? Hmm. Well, what about other parents who might have brought their babies who might see it? Or what if someone trips on it? Or so what if somebody spills their coffee in it? So that kind of engagement with a child rewards their initiative and their independence. And it doesn't over control them, but it still guides them to keeping themselves safe in the world, right? As opposed to simply don't touch that. Because don't touch that if you have a compliant child shuts down their initiative and their independence. And if you have a child like this one was, where he's basically very um, strong-willed, and independent to the point of being oppositional, where he really doesn't want you to tell him what to do. That child, when you tell him, 
don't touch that, is just going to ignore you or even look at you and touch it anyway, taunting you, right? So there's a way that we can encourage independence and still guide our children. And it's by um, noticing how we intervene. And, and one thing to do might be to not intervene. Let's say he's trying to open the latch on the gate. And it's fine for us if he learns how to open the latch on the gate. At that point, we would just watch. Many parents get frustrated. Here, I'll do that for you. Or, oh, you do it this way. But what if we just watched? What if we just stood by, took a deep breath, and appreciated our child's curiosity and his determination that he's trying hard to do it, right? And we just watched. Now, if he's frustrated, if he says, Mom, I can't get this, then we might say, hmm, it does seem a little stuck, doesn't it? And then we could say, I wonder what would happen if you pushed over there on that part of the latch, right? And he goes, huh, I wonder what would happen. And then he does. He he pushes on that and it works for him, right? So I guess I guess the the bottom line here is we reward independence by allowing it, encouraging it, not jumping in to do it for them, but being their backup when they do need us. When they do need us, that's when we step in and give them just as much help as they need, not more, but not less either. Lovely. And um, how can people contact you? How can my followers contact you? Well, they can find me online at ahaparenting.com. A-H-A parenting.com is my website. It's a thousand pages of information for parents of all age kids. And there's a free newsletter that I offer. I offer it weekly. And I also send, uh, if you choose the three times a week, you get the weekly newsletter, which is a compilation of special articles that week. But you also get my blog posts if you chose three times a week. You can do either one. And that gives people ongoing support right in their inbox that every week gives them new tips and tricks to try. And what I hear from parents is it really keeps you on track and, and it's free. So that newsletter, you can sign up for on any page of my website. I also offer a course, which is uh, which you'll see as you go to the website. Just You can put the word course into the search box or you can see it on the menu. Uh, and the course is only offered three times a year. So it's not offered all the time, but it is a very intensive application of these kinds of uh how to apply the peaceful parenting approach, these kinds of approaches with all kinds of different children, including special needs kids. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Laura, for the wonderful, wonderful podcast you gave me. Thank you for listening to the Sensory Change Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe. For more information on sensory input and ideas, visit danalatta.com. Join our community this month to get a free seven-day online course packed with practical sensory activities and strategies.